0: And welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights, and strategic inputs from around the globe.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Beyond Markets podcast series. My name is Laura Wong from the Asia Fixed Income Specialist Team in Singapore at Julius Baer. And today I'm joined by Isaac Elbaum, who is our head of sustainable investment methodology based in Switzerland? Hello, Isaac. Thank you for joining us.
2: Hi, Laura. I'm glad to be here.
1: Today, we want to discuss the topic Is sustainable investing beneficial for investors? Over the last few years, ESG and sustainable investing have been the buzzwords on both the news front and in investment opportunity ideas. Companies have been working on the net zero targets. And their action plans on climate change. We have also covered a few interesting topics in our previous Beyond Markets podcasts on the rise of ESG and ESG investing. But today, our focus will be on the latest developments, regulatory changes, and more importantly, is sustainable investing still relevant and does it benefit investors?
2: Thanks, Laura. That's a very good question. I think it's very relevant and actually becoming even more relevant. Although the concept of ESG has gotten a lot of negative press over the past two years, there are many positive developments around sustainable investing. The negativity of ESG probably comes from massive regulations associated with costs and complex implementation, whereas sustainable investments offer many attractive thematic investment opportunities. Take, for example, the massive rise of electric vehicles, improved battery technology, research and development into carbon capture and storage technology, renewable energy, and so on. Very much is related to climate and energy transition, which are with no doubt one of the most important challenges for humanity to solve. All these areas need capital to progress. And that offers interesting sustainable investment opportunities. Laura, did you know that more people work with clean energy than in the fossil fuel industry? And that more investments are made into clean energy solutions than to fossil fuels?
1: But Isaac, in recent times, the news front has been dominated with greenwashing accusations and conceptual doubts there were multiple leading financial institutions that were accused of and fined of greenwashing, misleading, and exaggerating ESG claim in its funds. So what's your take on that?
2: Well, Laura, unfortunately, some corporates took advantage of ESG commitments to boost their corporate reputations and share price. But this was probably more of an early-stage phenomenon when ESG was still rather new and. Underdeveloped? Nowadays, regulatory standards are catching up and we believe that most companies have realized this and that the magnitude of reputational risk related to greenwashing is taken seriously. We have seen that the number of high-profile greenwashing cases have actually calmed down lately.
1: I see. But in what aspects have the regulatory landscape changed and caught up with respect to the ESG commitments?
2: I believe that it's more the market participants, so banks and asset managers, who have accepted the current frameworks of regulation and gained experience in implementing those regulations. In the beginning, the ESG regulations were new and market participants needed some time to interpret, find the best market practice and implement all of them. But now there is no question about the need to spend efforts in having well-defined disclosures, reportings, or information available to investors. And market participants have also become experienced in analyzing and implementing new regulations or guidelines that are published by regulators. There is no longer a surprise when a new guideline or regulation is communicated, but I rather have the impression that market participants treat it like hey, we have done this before, so we will make it this time as well.
1: Yes, I agree. The government policy changes and regulations are rapidly changing. Similar to the regulators in Europe, Asia regulators such as Hong Kong Monetary Authority and Monetary Authority of Singapore are also implementing principles guiding banks on the transition to a net zero economy. MES has also recently launched a new digital platform that harnesses technology to simplify ESG data and reporting process, thereby allowing end users to support their sustainability-related decision-making. Korea has also introduced ESG rating guidelines aimed at enhancing transparency. And in India, they have been pioneering the regulation of the ESG rating providers. That being said, There are also news articles noting that sustainability-focused funds were suffering from outflows in both Europe and the United States. Isaac, does this signify that investors are no longer interested in this space?
2: No, I don't think so. There seems to be some volatility in the flows of assets, with especially passive funds and funds active in climate action themes. The funds based in Western Europe were seeing overall Positive fund flows last year. Whereas active funds, non climate themes, and funds based in North America were seeing overall negative fund flows, so outflows. And the rest of the world, which includes Asia, there the development has been largely flat last year. So I don't think one can argue that there is no interest when record sums are being invested into renewable energy and infrastructure projects. There is simply differences with regards to interest across regions and themes. And this might be influenced by political debate or subsidies or interest rate, etc. So if we take, for example, the electric vehicle boom in China, without a strong political support at the beginning of this industry, let's say 10-15 years ago, the EV market in China would not have seen such a strong development. And today, it's self-sustaining. And I think it's very interesting that China is, on the one hand, the biggest polluter in the world, but also the biggest investor into clean energies. We saw the similar type of pattern in the German solar market. Initially, heavily subsidized, it's now more driven by incentives and demand rather than by subsidies.
1: I see. But given the rapidly evolving sustainable investment space, paired with the regulatory developments across the globe, It can be rather daunting for an investor to navigate within this space, isn't it? Accordingly, how can we ensure that our investments are not greenwashed and to keep up with the regulatory changes?
2: That's a very important question. And at Julius Baer, we have developed a sustainable investment methodology that measures how sustainable a company or an investment is by looking at various thematic scores that we have constructed ourselves. And these scores range from climate and natural capital to human capital, governance, and global norms. If a company scores well on all of these scores, we will categorize it as sustainable. That's the highest category. But if it scores rather average on one or more of the scores, we will categorize it as responsible. That's the second highest category. And if most scores are average or lower, we will categorize it as traditional. That's like neutral. We also flag some companies or investments as ESG risk if they are substantially underperforming on certain sustainability aspects or involved in controversies. And in this way, we are fully transparent towards our clients, how we rate companies and investments, but also why companies or investments receive certain sustainability ratings. And we empower in this way our clients to pick and choose investments according to their own preferences.
1: Thanks for explaining our Julius Baer methodology. Isaac, do you think sustainable investing and good investment returns can come hand in hand?
2: Yes, I do. There are many investment opportunities that are both attractive from a financial valuation perspective and a sustainable investment perspective. It can, of course, be debated what is correlation and what is causality. But to me, actually, that does not matter so much. I believe that there are many attractive investment opportunities coming from investments into new technologies or old technologies that are in transition to more sustainable business models. In the end, if a company can generate more sustainable outcomes because of more financing... Or if a more sustainable business that leads to more financing is actually irrelevant. The outcome at the end is what matters. We must invest in a way that keeps the planet habitable for future generations.
1: Yep, Isaac. There have been several success cases for companies that have developed new technologies or transitioned into a more sustainable business model. They have been cited in an interesting book called Climate Capitalism written by Ashkat Rathi, one of which is Orsted a Danish company that used to focus on oil and natural gas but managed to transition entirely into clean energy within 15 years. In the 1970s, Denmark was impacted by the surge in oil prices. Given that 90% of the country's energy came from burning oil, citizens were impacted and forced to reduce consumption the Danish government introduced reforms with the aim to diversify their energy sources. There were agencies that promoted and subsidized wind and modern turbines, mandates that promote energy-efficient solutions. In 2019, Denmark consumed 20% less than it did in 1973. And that's even when the population grew by 20% and the economy doubled. As a key player in Denmark and recognizing changes, Orsted transitioned itself and is well recognized as a front runner in the offshore wind industry, alongside its advancement into clean energy technologies. Orsted is a good example of where government policies can help to accelerate transformation of a company and transition towards a net zero energy producer. In 2006, 17% of the energy produced was from renewable. In 2022. It was 91%. Rostad in itself is accelerating renewable energy sector by investing in innovation and also developing carbon capture and storage solutions.
2: Thanks, Laura. That's an excellent example. Another interesting example of a company which is speeding up the transition is an oil company called Occidental Petroleum or uh, Oxy. It's a traditional oil company involved in oil production, and depending on which data source you look at, they are on a somewhere between three and nine degrees Celsius global warming path. So they are currently not a very climate-friendly company, but they do have strong intentions to change this. Oxy is investing in carbon capture, utilization, and storage solutions, and is forming a joint venture with BlackRock to develop the world's largest direct air capture plant. So that's a plant which basically can take CO2 from the air. They want to become net zero by 2050 and they're looking to build 100 direct air capture plants by 2035. So that's in a bit more than 10 years. Their first direct air capture plant can capture 500,000 metric tons of CO2 year, So, to put this into perspective, in 2022, Oxy reported scope 1, 2, and 3 emissions, that's both the direct and the indirect CO2 emissions, of 240 million metric tons of CO2. So, with some simple math, once those 100 direct air capture plants are operating, Oxy will capture more CO2 than they emit. Actually, Oxy will need the CO2 that they capture for the enhanced oil recovery production. So what they do is that they inject CO2 back into the ground to be able to retrieve oil. They are looking to become the world's first low-carbon upstream petroleum producer. Of course, there are risks and questions to this solution. We don't know if this technology will work as expected and if the financing, completion, scaling and commercial viability of these direct air capture plants will materialize. But it shows that there are technologies and technological possibilities to counter climate change. The oil that Oxy produces will still emit CO2, but relative to other oil companies, It's better for the climate if Oxy captures more CO2 than they emit in total. And we have to see if all companies can really transform to become waste disposal and recycling companies while still continuing to provide carbon-based energy sources. But at least there are technological developments that look promising.
1: So I would like to highlight that the case studies that we have discussed are for illustrative purposes only and should not be constructed as an advice, offer, or invitation to buy or sell any securities-based derivatives or other products. While there are many companies working on commendable climate change solutions, as we have described earlier, it is evident that we still have a long way to go in achieving sustainable environmental goals.
2: Absolutely, Laura, I fully agree with you. And I think it's great to think positive. First of all, it makes your life so much easier. But Secondly, it makes you see the opportunities and possibilities. And when it comes to sustainability and sustainable investing, I am a strong believer in technological solutions to solve the climate and social issues. And those technologies need capital. It's our role as bankers to make sure that we channel capital to where it makes most use, both to develop and scale new technologies, but also to grow. A win-win situation.
1: Yep, Isaac. I think we've learned a lot more about this topic today, particularly for sustainable investing. Thank you, Isaac, for sharing your insights.
2: My pleasure, Laura.
1: Dear listeners, this is all we have time for today. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. On behalf of all of us at Julius Baer, thank you for tuning in today
0: and goodbye. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you've heard, please tell us by leaving a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe to Beyond Markets on your favorite podcast player to stay up to date with our latest episodes. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com legal podcasts for further important legal information.